Welcome to the Holistic Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Keisha Blair, wife, mother of three, author of Holistic Wealth, and founder of the Institute on Holistic Wealth. The show will showcase various experts in the key pillars of holistic wealth. Each week, we deliver the best information on how to become holistically wealthy and live your best life. Today, we have a very, very special guest. It's Iman Ubu, and Iman is the founder and CEO of Sway Media. She's a self-made entrepreneur, published scientist, and former beauty queen, former Miss New York USA 2015, and second runner-up at the 2015 Miss United States pageant. And she's on a mission to change the women's media landscape, which is amazing. Given that it's Women History Month, that's something that we want to celebrate. Iman, welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited we're finally able to do this. Yes, absolutely. Just for the audience, I am a contributor to the platform, and I think I was one of the earlier contributors. and. I've seen tremendous growth. So I want to congratulate you for that, Iman, because they're the Sway Voices. I mean, that has exploded. There's some really good thought leaders on the platform. So I want to congratulate you for that. Uh, can you tell us a bit about how that journey started? Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate that. I always love hearing just someone's feedback on the platform. So I'm glad you really enjoyed your experience there. But so just to give a quick background, Sway initially started off in 2016, just as a succession of my podcast at the time was called Entrepreneurs in Vogue. And now it's called Women Who Sway, because kind of I've seen at the time there wasn't enough conversation around female voices and really storytelling when it comes to women's stories. So I wanted to really create kind of a digital media platform that focused specifically on real stories by women for women. And at the beginning, we really kind of approached the model as a typical, more traditional digital media business, meaning that, you know, we hired a, a quite a, a big kind of a editorial team with a huge network of freelance journalists and writers. And we kind of commissioned writers to write content based on what we thought women wanted, or at least what we thought, you know, or we heard from our women's community that in terms of what they wanted to read about. So, you know, it was kind of traditional. We kind of put the content out there and then really it was about focusing on growing the readership and being able to really build a credible brand, media brand that focused on the reader first. And as we started doing that for the first couple of years, you know, I went on to raise a pre-seed angel round with really strategic, awesome investors that believe in the mission. And, you know, the more we developed the brand and, and the vision, the more we've seen that there was a lot of demand around, you know, women reaching out to us and actually wanting to contribute on their own. Um, not necessarily being interviewed, but rather use Sway as an outlet to be able to create content consistently and submit it to us to help them kind of edit it and make sure we format it right. You know, we, we go through the SEO protocol and help them actually promote that content that they've written as kind of their thought leadership initiative. And that was interesting for me to really find out because at the beginning, you know, I didn't really think that there were a lot of women that were looking for platforms to contribute content. I was more kind of thinking, a lot of women reach out and pitch themselves to be interviewed. And it's more of a press publicity kind of spin to it. But really, I think the thought leadership concept has started developing over the past kind of five years. And a lot of women are kind of jumping on that trend. And so creating consistent content, 
especially long form content that rates on Google and search engines in general that people can find when they Google your name, it's kind of part of your brand. It's part of your digital presence. That's become kind of a, a very growing side in the media in the media world. So after seeing that, I realized that there was kind of a white space that we could be the one filling and really create something a bit more innovative when it comes to the media model. And rather than you know, just having our own editorial team figure out the calendar of editorial content that we want to publish, we wanted to create more of a an open content marketplace for women to be able to use on their own as a kind of a blogging platform, if you will. But I don't like using the word blogging because I feel like it's usually associated sometimes with not the kind of long form quality content that we're really focused on. But I call it publishing because it really it's about thought leadership and publishing intentional substantive content that helps you tell your story and helps you build your brand and your, your personal brand and your professional brand. So that's really how it evolved over time to become what it is today. And now it's more of a network and community of high profile, high achieving women, thought leaders who see Sway as a go-to outlet for them to share their voices, their opinions, expertise, and really just make it their storytelling platform as opposed to starting a blog from scratch, which we all know sometimes takes quite a while to take up. You know, you have to figure out how to build your audience. You have to know all about SEO. You have to kind of do the technical aspects of it too. And you have to build that audience from scratch. So kind of coming to a platform like Sway and just going in with just your ideas and you have our editorial team as your support system has been a game changing for a lot of women who want to get into the thought leadership game, but didn't really know, you know, or have the tools or the know-how when it comes to starting that journey. So yes, yeah, so now it's become more of a, a, just a content platform for women to create their content, publish it and really amplify their voices. Earlier in your response, you mentioned pre-seed investors. And that's something I wanted to ask you about because so many women start businesses and can't find investors, can't even get a business loan despite having good credit. I've had so many people on this podcast who have spoken openly about their struggles when they started their business. And especially for women of color, it's even worse. And you uh, mentioned in a Harper's Bazaar article that was published years ago about your struggles when you started out dealing with the perceptions out there. And, and of course, mostly male investors then looking at, you know, female entrepreneurs as not necessarily having the same type of strengths as men, you know, for what it's worth, which is just horrible. But I wanted to ask you about your experience with that. And of course, you know, any advice that you would have for women starting out, you know, and trying to secure that investment to start their businesses. And yes, that's a, a really good conversation and much needed conversation to have, especially during this month, is really just the, the gender inequity when it comes to fundraising and how little of that money in the investor world, the startup world, the VC world, and private equity world really goes to women innovators. And a lot of it has to, of course, do with not just sexism, but really perception of women as leaders in general. And I think this is from my experience. I'm 100% sure that it differs from business to business and startup idea to startup idea. I think also being in the media industry, it's so male dominated. It's always been that way. But also at the time when I was pitching, it was 
somewhat of a, I wouldn't say a dying industry, but it wasn't necessarily an industry that every investor was flocking towards and wanted to invest their money in. Mm -hmm. So I kind of had to also deal with that aspect of it and really being able to come at it from an innovative standpoint and and really explain that we weren't trying to create a business that was traditional, but rather innovate on the media, on the current media industry, especially the one catering to women. And this was also pre-Me Too movement, but right on the cusp of that. So, you know, I think every woman I know um, has kind of experienced some kind of doubt or um, sexist comments when it comes to really proving themselves and going out there and sharing their ideas and really pitching the world, whatever, whoever you might be pitching to. It could just also be a business partner. It could also just be a client. You know, it doesn't have to always be an investor, but sometimes kind of male investors on the other side of the table are reluctant to invest in women because of the outdated notion that they're looking at it from a how do I prevent failure versus what is the potential of this idea that this woman is pitching to me. Uh-huh. And of course, there's also the, are you going to have kids soon? What's going to happen when it comes to that? If you, what if you get pregnant soon? Especially for me, I'm, I was just about to turn, you know, 30. I was in my late 20s. And so a lot of the, those questions around starting a family and how would that impact my uh, work-life balance and me kind of being a leader still mm-hmm. while pregnant or while potentially getting married or things of that nature we're always kind of on their minds. And that yeah. just goes to show that the way we perceive female leaders is definitely not the same mm-hmm. as far as strength, as far as trust, even yes. and just as far as also capabilities, you know? Um, and I was also taking these meetings with my brother, who also is a startup entrepreneur. We both are former engineers. So we both have quite the same I would say almost capabilities and just the vision was very similar across the board, but it just tends to, for him, it was more easy. It was easier to kind of uh, navigate that world. And mm-hmm. even just from, from a self perspective, it was completely different because he never had a single doubt about going into a meeting and getting someone's attention. I, on the other hand, kind of prepping for those meetings, I was always like, well, how do I make sure that I am taken seriously? Right. What kind of, uh, you know, clothing should I wear so that people don't think I'm this or that? Oh, I have to clean up my social media. I can't show that I'm actually having fun and, and spending time with family and because that might say, oh, she's not ready to be a businesswoman, you know? So mm-hmm. all these kind of self-doubt thoughts is really where it starts because then we start kind of already perceiving ourselves as less than. And by the time I'm at that meeting, I already kind of discounted my capabilities before I even had my first word out of my mouth. So. Yeah. So that's just an interesting experience all around. And it's not just one, one facet of it. It's like a 360 cycle that feeds into itself because it really starts with us and how we were raised and how we were also taught to think about ourselves and how society perceives us. Um, and really, it's hard to unlearn those things. And even to this day, what, seven years after you know, launching my business and at the, at the age of 24, 25, I'm still learning to unlearn some ways of thinking that actually are self-sabotaging my own success. You know, of course, Mm -hmm. we talk a lot about the external barriers and yes, there is still rampant sexism that exists, but also I don't think we're given enough emphasis on what are we doing individually as us women individually to actually discount ourselves before we even have a chance at proving ourselves. Yes, definitely. And as you're talking, like there's so many things going through my mind right now because so many women go through that experience, even just from the job interview process. I remember when, you know, you mentioned your age. I remember when I was that age too. And 
just going in into a job interview and wondering if I'd be taken seriously because I, you know, you know, in your childbearing years, you know, you automatically think that employers are going to be thinking, wow, is she just going to run off and, you know, take a one-year mat leave, you know, mm-hmm. soon after she gets this job. And so women face that same issue in the job market every single day, along with a slew of issues. And it creates, as you mentioned, a lot of self-doubt. And I think, Iman, like I even with pitching investors, it's not necessarily a skill that we're taught in school. You know, it's not necessarily skills that are brought to bear that we know that we can just walk into our room and we'll ace that. And so I just wanted to ask you, just in case people are listening and they're wondering, well, how do I even start to build a pitch deck? How do Mm -hmm. I even start to put together something to sell myself? And women have lots of self-doubt too when it comes on to selling themselves and, and doubting their experience and doubting their knowledge and their skills and what it's worth. And so can you provide any advice on that in terms of the practical nuts and bolts of of overcoming that in terms of selling yourself to investors in a pitch deck and pitching that forward? Well, I think the the confidence really stems from experience. So yes, the first meeting that you're probably going to, you know, go to or the first pitch deck that you're going to put together is not going to be your best. And I will say that flat out because a lot of people, especially women, they want to go at it in a, in a perfect way. They want to have the best pitch deck. They want to know that they're a thousand percent ready and they have all the answers figured out for, you know, with the business financials, all of that figured out. That's not always going to happen. You know, some people probably have that already because they've been working on this idea for years and they have a little bit more developed concept and that's great. But I think that just because you don't think you are where you need to be doesn't mean that you shouldn't take meetings and at least start kind of gathering that feedback and also just practicing. The more practice you have with just getting that courage and going into a room and doing that pitch, even if you think it's not going to be your best, but at least that's one more under your belt that you can draw feedback from, that you can draw experience from because you can't improve on it and you can't improve on your business idea too and your concept unless you go and tell people about it and see how it is received, because that's really what's going to help you evolve your business. If you keep it all to yourself for as long as you can, because you want to perfect it on your own, that's the wrong mentality. Because if it wasn't for all the conversations I've had, even if I was rejected during those conversations, even if they were tough pills to swallow, even if I was doubted and just really undermined and maybe not taken seriously, but all of those experiences taken together have actually helped me be where I am today. And still, what, seven years later, even though I wasn't able to get the funding I wanted initially, I was still able to build a sustainable business that is still going and doesn't even need funding anymore, to be honest, because I was able to pivot in the right areas to be able to sustain my vision because I wasn't married to how I was going to do it. I was just married to the vision of it, but it can change over time. And it has to change because you need to be a really, really great listener at the beginning, no matter how hard the words you're listening to are, and no matter how much it hurts you because it bruises your ego or maybe makes you think less of yourself. Those are all part of the experience. It's going to make you a really great businesswoman in the future, in the long term. Because you were able to take the right information and distill it and take what you need from it to improve on yourself. And that's what we call growth. And I think a lot of women at the beginning, including myself, um, and I'll speak from my experience, is that I was so focused and caught up on, oh, I want to be seen as a successful woman who was who fundraised and was able to achieve this and achieve that. It was all about like milestones and 
validation rather than actually seeing this as a journey that helped me grow and really give me the foundation to be able to build the business I want without even needing the support of people who won't give it to me. You know what I mean? So it's really about how do you take this process and really make it your own and not get caught up in the buzz and the publicity and the press. Yeah. Um, all yeah. of that never really, from my personal experience, I got a lot of press when we first launched, even to this day, I still do. It was never a hard thing for me to, to do because, you know, it, I'm all about storytelling and I think the story really sold itself, mm-hmm. but that never really translates into revenue. Here I was, people thought I was super successful because I'm on Forbes and I'm on Harper's Bazaar and I'm talking on, you know, NASDAQ show or whatnot. But yet I couldn't even afford a Metro card to go to these interviews, you know, because I was struggling and there was no revenue coming in at the time. And I wasn't, I was too busy chasing the the hype, if you will, Mm -hmm. the validation. And I forgot to actually work on my business to be able to sustain it and make revenue from the get go. That to me is like the biggest mistake I've made because I chased the wrong um, shiny things. Yeah. But then eventually, you know, I took that as an experience and I learned from it. And now... I prioritize my time based on what is going to generate revenue and what is going to help me advance my business. So, you know, you really have to kind of make that journey your own and you can't compare your story to someone else's story or your business to someone else's business because everyone really is meant to grow into a different person throughout Mm -hmm. the entrepreneurial process. And you should see it as a self-actualization journey as opposed to, I need to rank up milestone after milestone so that people can think of me a certain way. And, and I think that goes back to, again, self-doubt and insecurities is that I felt like I had something to prove. I had a chip on my shoulder because I was rejected for so long at the beginning. And I really was out there to try to prove people wrong. And it's really not what you should do when you're running a business, because that's not your priority. What people think of you is none of your business. You need to go here, sustaining your business and making the impact you set out to make in the first place. A lot of these lessons I wouldn't have, you know, learned if I had to figure out how to take rejection and turn it into something else. I had to figure out how to not give up or maybe when to know when to give up because you don't know. Sometimes it's just not going to work out and you just need to be able to accept that. So these are always questions that are going to be coming up no matter how good you are your idea or your business or your passion, there are always going to be obstacles that are put in your way in order for you to actually grow as a person and be able to reflect on really your your why it comes down to it. You know, there's several things that you brought up just a while ago that I really love. One of them is the issue of, you know, in starting a business, the publicity not equaling revenue and the fact that you brought up that pivot and having a sustainable business. So those two things I wanted to just drill down into because they're so important for women. And I found now as an author too, Iman, that the publicity doesn't equal sales either for books. You know, getting into Forbes didn't sell one book. Getting into several other publications didn't sell one. And so when you said that, I was here nodding my head because I know as women, it's not just the publicity, but the acceptance and the like, yes, you know, and you're right, because a lot of us have had to tackle that rejection from the system. I mean, publishing is even worse, probably in terms of women and gender representation in the publishing world, in terms of book deals, it's very inequitable. And so I wanted to ask you about 
you know, how women can really focus on that revenue as the target and build a sustainable business because so many entrepreneurs start out and they think, okay, yeah, I have to nail the publicity because that will be kind of my outward indicator that I have arrived. But it doesn't, you know, necessarily translate into sales. Most times it's really just an expense. And so I know during COVID, a lot of businesses have had to pivot. And you spoke about your pivot early. You spoke about having that sustainability and and really nailing down revenue. Do you have any tips from your personal experience about that to share with our audience? Because I think that's so important. And the points that you raised about publicity and all of that, so important. So I just wanted to ask you for any tips that you can share for how women can just really focus, like tune out all the noise, focus on that revenue, because it's so important. And that's the metric that counts for like, whether your business fails or not. Really, it comes down to that. That's the only success metric you should focus on because it really is a life or death for your business. It could save it or it could kill it. So, and going back to your question um, about, you know, how to kind of approach or think about revenue, I think the thing that I didn't do early on was that I didn't take time to listen to my target audience or my target, I would say, quote unquote, customer, right? So basically, how does a business make money is you're either selling a service or solving a certain problem or providing a solution to someone's pain point. So you got to figure out who that someone is and not make it broad. I think the mistake I made is I said women, right? Women in general, um, which is very hard in terms of when you get down to the practicality of marketing and, um, you know, really just revenue growth is, is very hard to target a general community and a general uh, demographic. Also, if you don't know what profile that person has, who, you know, who she is, what she's passionate about, why she cares about what you have to provide, what are her pain points, what can you do, what can you provide, or what are you good at that you can help her with those pain points? All of these questions I didn't take the time to ask myself early on. And that cost me obviously two years of lost revenue, almost bankruptcy and shutting down. But then, you know, I during the summer of 2018, where I actually had to lay off most of my staff because uh, one investment fell through and we were kind of dependent on it. And when it didn't come, I had to obviously lay off people and kind of move on and figure out, okay, well, I can either shut down the business now or I can slowly sustain it on my own and figure out what I did wrong the past two years and how I can start over just on my own, taking my time this time around and really this time solving a problem that people are willing to potentially pay for. And so because I, I decided to take that you know pivot, I decided to, of course, schedule a lot of calls and do more listening than talking. Because early on, like I said, publicity is all about talking and talking and talking. You're selling, you're selling a vision, you're selling a dream, you're you're talking about your, you know, your idea, you're excited, but then you're not doing much listening. And then so my kind of second phase of the growing sway and, and the reason why the pivot was eventually successful is because I realized I needed to do more listening to the right people and schedule, you know, as many calls as possible to figure out it's almost like a, a consultation in a way or like a focus group and ask the right questions and really use those answers and that feedback as a way to figure out a new business model. It really is that simple. 
But of course, it takes a few months. It takes asking the right questions to be able to get the right answers, to be able to be directed in the right direction. So a lot of that I wasn't taught at the beginning. You know, no one told me that. I was kind of excited that I was getting a lot of the attention around my idea. I was getting the investment. I was getting the press. But then I never stopped to think, well, how am I actually going to make money? Obviously, advertising at the time was kind of the big dream, but you know, we all knew, especially with Facebook and Google, making it with an advertising model only is not going to be sustainable. And also, it's not really innovative. And I really wanted to create something that was innovative and really drill down to the big question, why don't women contribute more op-eds in the media? And how can I solve that problem? Not only to make an impact, but also to be able to, to build a sustainable business and provide services that women are going to be willing to pay for eventually and also create a community that is supportive of each other. These are the important questions that I think a lot of entrepreneurs in general, not just women, but entrepreneurs forget to ask at the beginning because there are so many shiny things that are kind of clouding their judgment and also just blinding them to really focus on the bottom line, if you will. And so once I started doing that, I started seeing kind of like the light at the, ton- the end of the tunnel. So my kind of two options were, will I either shut down or I have to figure out another way to make this um, a good business, a business that actually is worth fighting for. And as I started talking to uh, my focus group, I started seeing, okay, maybe there is hope after all. So I'm going to give this another try. So then I went for it again. I hired again the right people this time. Didn't spend money where I didn't spend money on expenses that didn't generate revenue directly. I wanted to specifically measure where my money was going and how I was actually converting to more money. So if you're going to spend money, you want to make more money. That's the idea here. That's kind of the genesis of, of what a business really is about, which was, again, not how I was thinking at the beginning. So once I started really pivoting from, I'm not going to sustain this business just by getting investors. I'm going to sustain this business on my own. That way I am fully independent independent and I can go whatever direction I want and I can actually do this on my own pace, you know, because when you raise money also, you got to remember that you have investors that are kind of trying to get their money back at a certain time. And there's a little bit more pressure on you um, than when you kind of grow, you take the time to grow your business on your own. And then once you have a very good plan and you have proof of concept and you've actually brought in revenue and the investment is only going to help you expand expand and, you know, scale the business as opposed to survive, that's when, you know, that, okay, that's a good investment to raise because I was raising money to survive, which is not the premise of invest. You know, the premise of investing is really at scale and to be able to add to the revenue you're already making. Um, And that's really the best I would say place to be when you're out there fundraising, because also you're not desperate. You're able to really take your time to to evaluate the fit between investors because you're not on the verge of of shutting down and you need more money. So we will take it just from anyone. So I think I always love, especially these days, I, I can't stress how important it is to really have some revenue in the door before you start thinking about getting investors, getting partners, because you really want to be able to prove the concept, not just to people, but to yourself. And I didn't do that much. I had a great idea. I had a vision that was very broad, but I didn't drill down to the details of how it actually works. What are the mechanics of it? And so that was the biggest mistake I originally made. And it almost cost me shutting it down and really kind of moving on from this whole thing. Thankfully, I didn't have that many expenses to start with. So when I had to pivot, it wasn't that big of a pivot that it was unbearable. So it was kind of a little bit more seamless than I I would think, you know, a bigger startup would have. 
So I was lucky in that aspect. But I think just to kind of recap, revenue really comes down to figure out your target demographic and also listen to that demographic in order to really understand the mechanics of your services or your product. You know, that advice is really good, Iman. So I have two questions stemming from that because I'm listening and I'm like, this is great. So in terms of you know, the focus group and drilling down, for instance, um, let's say you're a business, you know, that has a community aspect similar to what you said. And, you know, you had to go to your focus group and be like, so what will you pay for? Did you actually, you know, go to them and explicitly say, will this service help you? Are you actually willing to pay for X, Y, Z service? Is that kind of the idea of part of the focus group in terms of drilling down to what they were wanting to pay for? I mean, I don't think it was for me as direct. So I wasn't interviewing them in terms of my product specifically. I was more kind of a sparking a conversation around, for example, why don't you contribute more? To, like, you know, you have great expertise. What is holding you back from submitting more content and creating long form quality content that's going to help you market yourself. What is holding you back from sharing your service? So, so it was more of focusing on them. So they felt heard rather than asking them about mm-hmm. what they, how they would want my product to be or my platform to be and what they would pay for it. And based on their answers, mm-hmm. because they were genuine, because they were about themselves. You know, when you ask people about themselves, they're more excited to engage in the conversation rather than kind of being interviewed or being surveyed about a specific product or service. So I approached it more from a conversational perspective, you know, about them and how I can help them. Um, Just from a device perspective, I wasn't selling anything at all. I didn't even know what I was selling at the time. I had to figure that out. So in order for me to figure that out, I had to know what they were struggling with. And in order to do that, you have to just ask them about themselves. It could just be, you know, what are you interested in? What is your long-term <laughs> career goal? It could start off as kind of broader questions like that. And then you start based as you start getting to know them more and more, then you start kind of going in the direction where you could start helping them somehow. And then they kind of tell you how, mm-hmm. and then based on how they, they provide that information and that feedback, then you're like, oh, well, Hey, I actually have a lot of contacts in the editorial world. I have a lot of writers I've worked with over the past few years. Maybe I can put those resources to work with women like you in order to help you get where you want to when it comes to creating more content and being consistent and holding you accountable. So it's almost like your go-to editorial team if you want. Things of that nature. And then that started developing into, oh, okay, well, that could be part of a platform service that we offer. And then to access that service, it could be actually behind a membership wall. That way it's recurring revenue for us. And it's actually great because you're building a long-term relationship with these women that you're helping. And it's not like a one-off service that they forget about. So it's a process. It didn't happen overnight or over a month or two months. It was almost I would say a year to where we got to the actual membership model that we finalized, you know, the business on. And then it's still evolving to this day. I mean, to this day, I still take brief calls with women who are considering Sway. And I I kind of jump on that call personally to understand what potentially can hold them back and how do they see themselves as a fit as part of this community. And that continues to evolve the product itself because you don't want to stay stagnant and you don't want to think, okay, well, I figured it out. I spent, you know, five months talking to people. Now I know exactly what I need to do. I don't have to do it anymore because no, it's going to always evolve. There's always going to be some improvements you're going to make 
there's always going to be a different version of the product you're going to have to launch maybe every two years or every three years, every one year. It depends on what you're, you're doing. So that process never stops. And I think as a founder, you definitely want to be involved in it as much as possible because that's going to help inform you how to take the company long term. For example, for me, every time I talk to, to my focus group and just more women that add to the focus group, you know, I think about the publishing industry when it comes to books. I know we're now focused on articles, but maybe there is an opportunity for helping women, you know, write their first book, for example, which I think has been a big question that come up in a lot of conversations, especially as I'm right now writing my first book. It's also a process that a lot of women want to be democratized, but not a lot of women have access to uh, literary agents or publishing houses, but they have a lot of expertise. And that's not to say that they don't have much to say. They could all write books. But how do we make that process more accessible? Again, I wasn't thinking like this before, not even maybe six months ago, but now it's come up in a few conversations and I'm like, huh, maybe this is going to be Sway 5.0. Who knows? So these are just ideas that I jot down and I have a notebook that just says ideas, you know, and I always kind of go back and review it every end of the month and see what could potentially be implemented um, in the next month or in the next year or in the next six months. And that's really how you start kind of planning and building that empire brick by brick. You know, those are good observations because for sure the publishing industry, there's significant issues with it. As someone who's had to navigate that too, and then publish a book, I can see how there'd be so many roadblocks. And that's not even the hard part of actually writing the book, as you mentioned, you know, you're, you're in the writing stage now, which takes a lot of work and a lot of effort. And then there's so many hoops to jump through. So I can definitely see that. And I, I just wanted to go back to a previous point you made, Iman, about, you know, when you had to almost shut down your business, because so many businesses have suffered through COVID-19. And there's so many people who will be starting from scratch once we get out of this, like literally starting from ground up. Is there any advice you have from your experience? about starting again, then I know you mentioned some of it with listening and I know that's a part of it, but any other experience in terms of the financial aspect of getting back up again and running with it from a financial perspective? Well, I mean, that's never easy. I think from a financial perspective, you have to take your time with it. Again, it depends on if you're really starting from the ground up and you don't have any you know, form of, of income at that point, then maybe focus first on that until you get back on your feet and have enough saved up and enough money to feel comfortable to start again, then do that because you don't want to start again in a very uncomfortable ground. You, you want to be able to take your time and do that more comfortably so you're really able to do it right this time. And again, you're not really starting from scratch. You have a lot of probably experience that you have built. You have probably built a network from your, you know, past business or, you know, past trial or whatever. So you're not definitely starting from zero. I think there's a lot that you can draw from based on your initial experience. But going back to the financial aspect of it, I think the biggest stress for me was not saving enough money early on to be able to do it right and not have to be desperate to fundraise even from people that could potentially not be a good fit for the business. And then that could become a liability in the future. So really being able to, to say, okay, I'm comfortable. Maybe every month I'm making, you know, X amount of money. And then I'm going to put this much amount of money saved up just so I can start 
slowly but surely rebuilding those bricks of, of my business so that way you're not kind of rushing and and just doing things just so you can speed up the process because I think that's really where the mistakes happen whether that's not being able to afford the right legal people to help you set up your business correctly or maybe review the right contracts that could cost you more money in the future so you want to have enough cushion to be able to at least cover the basic expenses of setting up the foundation of your business right it's the same thing as building a house you don't want to start putting the colors of the windows and figuring out what how your ceilings will look like if you don't have a good property foundation if you have like termites the bottom of your house you want to focus on that foundation first and once that foundation is stable and you know it's not going to come crashing down then you can kind of fully quit your job or fully quit you whatever other income forms of income you have and then scale your your second phase of your business. You just want to be able to at least survive because surviving while running a business is really, I think, the biggest anxiety inducer. And then you end up doing things the wrong way. Thankfully, I had, you know, family to support me, but, you know, I had my boyfriend who really went out of his way to make sure that I, you know, supported and he invested in the, in the company to help get it off the ground. But again, I wish I hadn't also put them in that position where they felt like they had to also give me their money and budget on their own for their other things that they're doing, you know? So, so having really that financial aspect figured out and being able to properly budget and stick to your budget. And again, budget based on what is going to actually be important, not only to generate more money, but to set up a proper business that is going to be sustainable and profitable, hopefully. That's again, the, the goal here is to not only have a sustainable, but you want it to be profitable so that you're able to expand on it and use that you know profit to, to continue evolving the business over time. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Um, wise words. And yeah, it resonates with me highly even from my own experience as well. So Iman, what can we expect from Sway? Are there any special initiatives or plans coming up in the future? You, you mentioned that you're also writing a book, which is amazing. Congrats on that. Yeah, well, thank you for asking. Um, yes, so I personally, I'm focused a lot these days on the book. Actually, my manuscript is due next month. So basically the next four weeks are gonna be a merit, like a sprint for me, not a marathon anymore. Um, and, and again, the book is about actually self-sabotage and a lot of the things that we are consciously doing as women that are actually working against us. Um, so that's really interesting for me to write because I know for a few years when I started the business, I was so focused on external barriers and external circumstances that prevented me from actually reaching the success I want. But I never actually focused on what I was doing to get in my own way. It was so, so that, that that's an interesting perspective. And for Sway, for now, we're really focused on specifically growing the current platform. So we just launched a new platform last November. Um, so we've been focused on growing it, of course, in terms of membership and adding more women to the community. But also we're looking to add more features that are going to be more resourceful to our members. And that could be editorial tools that help you edit um, your content on the platform directly. Of course, some AI-based features that also can recommend headlines, can recommend imagery to use, can recommend SEO optimization protocols. We really want to help women figure out the process of, you know, not just writing about this specific topic, but rather also how do you create a quality article that is going to perform and help you really engage your target audience and build up on that. So that's been a big focus of our dev team and just really being able to build up on what we currently have. 
And again, I think moving forward in the next few months to a year, we're looking to be able to eventually get into the publishing world and see there are a lot of women who have, you know, created columns and have been publishing consistently on Sway that are kind of ready to to write a book moving forward or maybe be published in other bigger media outlets. So we're looking to figure out how can Sway also help them as a, a stepping stone to those new chapters of their content creation journey. And again, these are all kind of on the brainstorming table and we're going to be taking the right, you know, time to, to figure out which ones comes first, but we're looking to always get the right feedback from our members and be able to provide a better experience as, as you start kind of creating your content and, and promoting your stories and whatnot. So yes, yeah, women's community expansion and being able to add to the features on the platform is, is our focus at the moment. Keeping it simple. Those sound like amazing projects and I'm looking forward to hearing more as you know, they evolve and and they get more concrete. So Iman, it was great having you on the show and hearing about new projects and you sharing those nuggets of wisdom for women who are listening in. I'm sure they found this tremendously useful. Can you just share with our audience where they can find you? Yes. So our website is www.sway.com. Sway is with two A's. And then on social channels, whether it's, you know, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, we're at Way Media, S-W-A-A-Y-M-E-D-I-A. And then me personally, I'm everywhere as at Iman Ubu, I-M-A-N-O-U-B-O-U. And of course, you can email me any questions. You can reach out to me if you have questions about the platform or would like, uh, you know, a quick old overview. I'm always happy to jump on a call and walk you through it. I actually love doing that. It's my favorite part of my my job um, is to be able to connect with women and really show them what we can offer. So always feel free to reach out if you have other questions too about entrepreneurship um, or any advice you're seeking. I'm always also happy to help. So much, Iman, for sharing with us. Uh, once again, it's, this has been tremendously useful and uh, such great information for Women's History Month and for International Women's Day coming up. Um, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Thank you for joining us this week on Holistic Wealth with Keisha Blair. Make sure to visit our website, KeishaBlair.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or via RSS, so you will never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Are you a member of the Institute on Holistic Wealth? If not... What are you waiting for? Go to Institute on Holistic Wealth slash memberships to choose your membership plan and join. As a member, you get so many perks, free worksheets, advice, coaching, and a member's workshop to design an intentionally designed life. You need to figure out your life purpose? Take the Build Your Life Purpose Portfolio online self-paced course. You're struggling with all your money decisions? Take the free financial identities quiz and then take the course. You recently had a breakup, job loss, or experienced the death of a loved one? Take the holistic healing course. You need an overall plan to achieve holistic wealth? We will help you figure out your holistic wealth blueprint. And of course, if you want to start making money by helping others achieve holistic wealth, become a certified holistic wealth consultant. 
Regardless of what career you've got, the Institute will show you how to increase your income and walk in your purpose. The sooner you join, the sooner you start to achieve a more holistically wealthy lifestyle. And you're going to want to stay for a very long time. So go to Institute on Holistic Wealth slash memberships to join. If you haven't read the book yet, pick up a copy of the award-winning, best-selling Holistic Wealth 32 Life Lessons to Help You Find Purpose, Prosperity, and Happiness. 